Silenzio Bruno. Silenzio Bruno. Silenzio Bruno. Silenzio Bruno. Silenzio Bruno. Can you still hear him? Nope, just you. Good. Could we even survive over there? You and me, we can do anything. Hi, and welcome to the second episode of Little Miss Media. I'm your host, Brianna. And I'm Melissa. And in this episode, we will be reviewing Disney's new animated movie, Luca, and the possible significant role it plays in the bigger picture of gay representation within the film industry. So, there are going to be major spoilers in this discussion. So, we would recommend that you watch the movie first before you listen to this episode. Basically, the movie is centered around a 13-year-old sea monster named Luca, who has a deep curiosity for the world above the surface. He can be seen browsing through a collection of items from the human world, which to me echoed Ariel from Disney's The Little Mermaid, which is really fun. <laughs> he meets Alberto, who is another sea monster who's only a couple of years older than him. And he's been exploring the surface for a long time, so he has a lot of knowledge. And Luca eventually chooses to go out and explore the world with Alberto despite the warnings that his parents are always giving him about what humans are going to do to him if they find out he's actually a sea monster. Ooh. It is <laughs> a pretty thrilling plot. <laughs> so our characters are the titular Luca. So as we said, Luca is 13 years old and he's curious, but he's a little bit more timid and he is influenced, as we said, by Alberto to eventually go into the surface. And he's always wanted to see the world. And so they eventually make their way to Porto Rosso, which is a little Italian seaside town together, and enter the Porto Rosso Cup in order to buy a Vespa and then go off and see the world. And because of the Porto Rosso Cup, we then meet a cute little red-headed curly girl named Julia, who then forms a team with the two boys, kind of like a bunch of underdogs together, basically, <laughs> as they attempt to win the Poderosa race. And I guess one of my favorite characters is Julia's dad, Massimo, or Massimo, I'm not too sure if I pronounced that correctly. <laughs> father of the year. <laughs> yeah, father of the year, the real MVP. Um, strong, silent fisherman with a really soft, chewy, and cute heart. Uh, who looks after all three of them and cooks some mean pasta from what I can see. <laughs> <laughs> I know. After I watched this movie, I really, really craved pasta. I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and then our antagonist is the kind of iconic Urkole. And he's confirmed to be around 18 or 19 by a writer who worked on the movie, which makes his actions a whole lot worse, I would say. Um, he's pretty narcissistic and he is the repeated champion of the Porto Rosso Cup. And he spends his whole movie trying to make Luca, Julia and Alberto miserable. So we have our characters. We've set the scene. So, Melissa, what would you say were your favorite moments or themes of this movie? The one thing that really stood out to me right off the bat was this is obviously a coming of age film. It's a period in which an adolescent between the ages of 12 to 18 undergoes the search for their own identity, their place in this world. And this is especially prominent in Luca, especially since 
you know, he's venturing a whole new world that he has never seen before. He's always been curious about. And thanks to Alberto, <laughs> you obviously have to say that name with the accent. Alberto. <laughs> um, Alberto. Thanks to Alberto, he manages to really grow as a person. And you can see throughout the film, he just grew less and less timid, a bit more. He used to be a little indecisive, I would say, but he's grown to be a bit more confident in the decisions that he has learned to take throughout the movie. And that was really enjoyable to see. So definitely a coming of age theme for me. I know that when we were researching this film, the director Enrico Casarossa stated that the movie was a celebration of friendship and a love letter to the summers of our youth. Uh, he said those formative years when you're finding yourself. And I think what you said is so true. A big part of this is coming to terms with your identity. And in this film, identity is tied to their sea monster form. And they're constantly having to hide the sea monster form because if they show the sea monster form in Portoroso, they could be attacked. They could really be at risk. So the only time that they can feel happy and safe and accepted is when they hide their true selves. And I think a massive motif throughout this movie is water and rain and water. So Luca and Alberto actively hide from the rain because if they get wet, it exposes the sea monster self. And ultimately, throughout the entire movie, the rain acts as a sort of obstacle, right? Uh, there was that scene where they're lying outside and it rains on them during the night when they were feeling safe <laughs> and it exposes them. At the end of the movie, we see this growth. We see this learning to accept themselves and show their identity. And eventually they stop running away from the rain. They run straight into it and they embrace it. They show their true selves. I love that. You pointed out that rain and water is a huge motif in this movie. I wholeheartedly agree. And I just thought that it was a really beautiful symbolism to just, you know, it's as if to say that the rain will wash away any facade that you put on, any sort of makeup that you put over yourself to, to you know, to cover yourself your, from your true identity and to just basically wash your disguise away. When Luca takes that decision to ride out into the rain at the end of the film to save Alberto, we can see how significant that is. We can see that Luca is really growing up. He's really taking, you know, control of his actions and responsibility and also just accepting his identity, saying, okay, I'm going to stand defiant. If you don't like me, well, I can't help that. And I just think that's really beautiful and such a part of the coming of age theme. Another huge theme I would say is friendship as well mm -hmm. and how important it is to have friends that drive you but I feel like with this movie especially that that level of friendship goes beyond than just that it's become more of like a family sort of sense mm, the importance so of having your own community people you identify with and we can really see this with Alberto and Julia and Luca that whole underdog concept and how they had to look out for each other. And especially at the end when you see Julia pulling through for the both of them, even when she found out that they were a bunch of sea monsters, she still saw them as friends, as family, because of everything that they've been through together. Totally. And kind of continuing on that theme of family, that really ties into Alberto's character arc throughout this entire film, which is dealing with abandonment and dealing with the anxiety of losing people. It's revealed in the film that Alberto was abandoned by his father 
And so he becomes very possessive of Luca and he wants him to stay with him because he's scared of losing him. And we see that when he's very jealous of Luca's sort of budding friendship with Julia. And when Luca decides that he wants to go to a human school with Julia, he basically outs Luca's identity, which then in turn forces Luca's hand. And it's a big sort of betrayal of that friendship. It's his self-doubt, I believe, and low esteem that makes him try to push Luca away when Luca tries to apologize to him and stay with him. But Luca refuses to let him push him away because he cares deeply for Alberto. And this makes Alberto realize that he can let Luca go and still have him around and still love him at the end of the movie. And I think this is just a beautiful ending to this journey. And so he sells the Vespa that they've worked so hard to get, that is the way that they were going to stick together in order to buy Luca her train ticket, which he knows Luca desperately wants so he can go to that human school. And Luca says to Alberto, I can't do it without you. And Alberto says, but you're never without me. The next time that you jump off a cliff or tell Bruno to stop bothering you, that's me. And I just thought that was beautiful. I cried. (laughs) Yeah, I... Hearing that again just made me tear up a little bit. (laughs) That was really beautifully said, especially that quote. I just felt that was really impactful. And it just goes to show that it's not just Luca who went through that whole coming of age thing, but Alberto did as well. And hey, that's the power of friendship. (laughs) You help each other grow. And I absolutely love that. I know that you really liked Julia's father as a character and he had quite a connection to Alberto. What was your thoughts about that? That especially became prominent to me at the end of the movie when Alberto and Luca both came out as sea monsters in front of everybody at the end of the race. And Massimo was seen, you know, as that scary fisherman who just wanted to hunt and kill sea monsters. And when you saw him walk rather intimidatingly into the circle because of his big stature, and you you were just kind of expecting him to do something, because if I'm not mistaken, he was holding a harpoon in his hand as well. Mm. And that was really intense. But the way he pointed at Luca and Alberto and said, no, they are Luca and Alberto. Because he spent so many nights cooking them pastas, helping them and going fishing with them, etc. It really showed that there was that sort of bond between the three of them and that he saw them as more than just the physical place in this world as just sea monsters, but he really saw them for their true identity. And that's what I really like the way that he just identified them by their names rather than their labels. Mm. That's what made Massimo a true MVP as well. I also loved, as we were talking about his relationship with Alberto, he becomes the father figure to Alberto that Alberto does not have. Alberto runs away after Luca betrays him. He disappears almost. And that night, Massimo asks Luca and Julia, oh, where, where is he? And when they tell him that, oh, he wants to be left alone, he's left, Massimo goes looking for him. I think that is such a contrast to Alberto's father, who just says, you're old enough to look after yourself now, and then just abandons him and never comes back. It shows that Alberto, who believes that he ruins everything, that he's not good enough for anyone, 
that people do love him, that he doesn't need to push people away because people will come back for him. Oh, and one thing about Massimo that I forgot to mention and I think is so important is the fact that he was born with only one arm. And that is, he even mentions it, like, you know, I was just born this way and it doesn't Mm -hmm. stop him. He's the town's defender. He's a great fisherman. He just lives. And I think that is such a good step forward for disability representation. And I think Disney or Pixar is doing a really good job in that. I mean, that's the sort of representation we want where, yes, the character has a disability, but they just live their life. They, their character arc is not just about their disability. They can have tangible, lived-out lives. And I think yeah. that is a really good step in the right direction. It, I just felt like it really tied into another theme where you just can't judge people by their cover. Mm. You know, so even if you don't have an arm, it doesn't mean that you're not able to hunt sea monsters. Obviously, not in a realistic sense in our world <laughs> to hunt sea monsters um, and defend your town. And even with Luca and Alberto's case, even if you're sea monsters, you aren't monsters. Now, we're just going to move into some of our favorite moments from the film. And I'd just like to go first. This isn't exactly a moment per se, but it's one of my favorite catchphrases. The part where they always repeat to themselves, Silencio Bruno, a (laughs) mantra that Alberto tells Luca to repeat to himself inside his head to silence the negative voices or rather his inner conscience that try to discourage him from taking a leap of faith and doing whatever he wants to do i have a question though who on earth is bruno <laughs> the true <laughs> mystery <laughs> bruno mars <laughs> oh, oh maybe oh. if it wasn't said in the 60s <laughs> then maybe <laughs> um, you know i had this theory the entire time i was watching the movie every time they said it and as soon as they revealed that alberto's father was a very absent father I was like, what if Bruno is the name of his father? Like every time he says, Silencio Bruno, he's like proving his father wrong. He's showing that he can be strong and that he's like not what his father thought he was. That was my theory. (laughs) That's a good theory. That's way better than Bruno Mars. (laughs) I don't know. I think Bruno (laughs) Mars has some weight. (laughs) I, some of my favorite scenes, and I know he's mm. terrible, but just Ercole is a horrible person, <laughs> but he is so funny. Like, yeah. the line, <laughs> my favorite line, he's like sitting there, he's like, nah, who wants to watch me eat a sandwich? <laughs> so stupid. And there's this TikTok sound, and it's not by Ercole, but it just like really captures his essence. It's like, Hmm. You look like garbage wrapped. <laughs> you that one. Oh That's my god, that is so Ercole. <laughs> right? It's just Ercole's entire vibe is garbage wrapped. I just <laughs> love how he's so narcissistic and egocentric when you're literally like an 18, 19 year old who's basically just competing against a bunch of 12, 13 year olds. <laughs> Obviously, you're going to win the race. I mean, you're much bigger than they are. <laughs> But also yeah. the fact that he's fallen, like, sadistic. Like, he's, like, willing to murder 
Luca and Alberto, despite knowing they're like sentient. He's just like, I'm going to kill him. Like that's messed up. Another scene that I really liked, well, it's not as upbeat as the previous two that we've just, well, as the previous (laughs) one we just mentioned about Ercole, but when Luca outed Alberto as a sea monster and when he pointed and shouted, oh, sea monster, that betrayal in that scene was so incredibly heartbreaking to me, mainly because, well, we had the soundtrack. It was absolutely beautiful. But what hit me the most was especially when Ercole and his gang threw the harpoon at Alberto, but all Alberto could do was look back at Luca and not at the harpoons because he was so hurt emotionally by that betrayal and abandonment that he didn't really care about being physically hurt. Yeah. That to me was just so, oh, I teared up a lot. It's so like multifaceted, right? Like, I feel like a lot of people would be like, oh, Luca is so terrible. And I think his action wasn't right, right? Like, it wasn't the right decision. But if you put yourself in his headspace, I suppose, he's a lot more timid than Alberto is. And he has become closer to Julia, who has started telling him about the human world and has been like, oh, maybe you could come to school with me. And Luca then really wants to go to this school. And he wants Alberto to come as well. He still loves Alberto dearly as his friend. But Alberto, who we've already discussed, has this fear of abandonment. He doesn't want to lose Luca. So Alberto is so scared to lose him that he basically places Luca in a position where he's like, look, sea monsters are not accepted at the school. And he has reason to believe that. Look how they've been treated for being sea monsters in this town. But then when Luca refuses to listen, because Luca is like, oh, don't worry, I just won't show that I'm a sea monster. He basically places Luca in a position where Luca is about to lose his cover and his chance to live how he wants to live. And then Luca is like panicked. And so then he rather selfishly chooses to stay hidden. But at the same time, he's a 13-year-old kid who is terrified as well. So then can you truly hate him for that? You can definitely condemn him, I believe. But I saw where he was coming from. Definitely. And especially because Luca has arguably been sheltered his entire mm-hmm. life up till this point before he met Alberto and, you know, came to Porto Rosso as well. So I definitely can see that sense of panic. I mean, everything happened so quickly. It did. Oh, you know, so obviously the best he could do was go, was just to out, him, out Alberto and save himself. It was a self-defense mechanism, but you can condemn him. But obviously as Brianna, like what you said, we getting into his headspace and seeing where he's coming from, we could actually really see reasons behind his actions. And especially by the end of the movie, we realize that both of them still deeply care for each other. And Alberto as well, he didn't have to come to the race in the rain and shield Luca. If he was really, truly still spiteful at Luca, maybe he would have just let him get wet, right? and then reveal his identity. But he comes running to Luca with an umbrella to help him finish that race, still protecting his identity. Like, Mm. that's really poignant to me. Yeah. And when Luca made the decision to say, no, I'm going to win that race, 
even if Alberto wasn't going to compete anymore. I felt like that was the first, arguably the first big main decision that Luca ever did by himself. Mm-hmm. Because beforehand, it was always influenced by Alberto or, or Julia, but this time it was out from his own heart, his own decision as a person. And I thought that that was really beautifully done. I kind of wanted to discuss this is the oh. difference in reaction that Julia had to Alberto's uh, reveal of his identity versus her reaction to Luca's reveal when she accidentally splashes him with water. What did you think about that? Because it was a very different reaction. Well, I like that because um, the first initial reaction she had when Alberto was revealed to be a sea monster, she was shocked. And that, again, ties into the whole point where you can't judge a book by their cover. To Julia, they were kids having fun. Well, they were a bit odd, okay? Like in (laughs) Portoroso human terms, they definitely did point that out. But ultimately, it wasn't odd enough to actually question their entire being (laughs) you know they were still just a bunch of weird kids underdogs and when it was revealed to her that alberto was a sea monster that shock was really significant to me because it was like oh i didn't suspect this at all i didn't think you would be any different than i was than i am Mm. a normal human girl you know and i guess what i really liked was that She's obviously spent her entire time on the way home pondering as about what happened. And when she splashed that water onto Luca for confirmation, I actually thought that she might have tried to out it him out to her dad or something. But she, in fact, reacted the opposite of what I thought she would have. She just scolded him for being so careless, mm-hmm. scolded him for his decision to come out here and pretend to be a human being when he was, in fact, a sea monster. And that entire interaction within that situation just showed to me just how much she cares for them from a real family sort of sense. Her reaction, I believe, with Luca was different because at that moment, she wasn't being threatened. She saw that Luca was actually the one at threat. Her mode is to go into a protective mode. And Luca is like, oh, why would you do this? Why do you want to get rid of me? And she's like, of course, I don't want to get rid of you, but I have to you to be safe i feel like she saw how she reacted with fear when she first Mm -hmm. saw alberto and now she's like oh gosh if i reacted like that how will other people react so julia also like while her and luca definitely become a lot closer because they share an interest in education right Mm -hmm. it's not as if like she doesn't try to befriend alberto she actually like does try to befriend him it's not like she's just shunning him it's just really sad to see how Julia is trying to befriend Alberto, but Alberto is just like, huh, I don't want to be with you. Like, <laughs> he's definitely possessive and jealous as well. And that's something that kind of became a bit more prominent in, towards the middle and towards the end of the movie as well. And yeah, it was just a really interesting dynamic between the three of them, I guess. And, you know, the saying, two is a company, three is a crowd. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> Yeah, this segment has run on for a really long time, but I really <laughs> just wanted, I really want to at least wrap it up with one of my favorite soundtracks um, from the movie. Well, first of all, I just like to give like a huge round of applause to um, Dan Romer, who composed um, Luca's official score 
And I just thought that it was really great. It was really fitting to the aesthetic of the movie overall. And I just also love the fact that the movie as a whole featured music that, you know, gave a huge throwback to mm. old school Italian pop songs, which I feel like Italians who are watching it, they would be like, oh, yeah, this is something I grew up with. Or, well, my my parents or my grandparents mm-hmm. with. And a particular track that I, I personally enjoy was Un Bacchio a Mezzanotte, which is A Kiss at Midnight. And apparently it was released in 1945. It was an wow. upbeat rhythm one that was um, playing during the opening credit scene. And yeah, I just loved it. Mm-hmm. I overall liked the Luca theme. It just gave me such dreamy, sort of almost Studio Ghibli sort of vibes. And it also mm-hmm. took me back to Nemo, the Nemo egg theme, which is one of yeah. my favorite <laughs> themes of all time. Right. So I think the Luca theme there, especially at the ending when he's leaving on the train and the music swells and strings and orchestra is so layered. I thought that was beautiful. Amazing job on this soundtrack. So you might have seen on social media or on review websites, a lot of people talk about Luca and its potential gay subtext. So basically, we're going to have a look at Luca from this sort of view. What did you think about this subtext, Mel? Luca and Alberto are obviously completely close with one another, not just from an emotional sense, but physically. They're totally. absolutely physically affectionate with one another. Even when the way they hug, the way they hug, there's just no sense of awkwardness. And it's just something that was just in- incredibly natural mm-hmm. between the both of them. In kids media, right, you often get this like running joke where like two male characters, they'll like hug each other and mm. then they'll realize they're hugging each other and they'll, it'll oh. be like this awkward like, oh, oh, oh. And then it's like a, <laughs> a joke sort of moment, you know? Yeah. But for Luca and Alberto, they're so casual. They, they're casually affectionate. They happily hug each other. There's no awkwardness. It's not a joke. It's just treated as what it is, just normal. And I really like that. For sure. And I just felt like this closeness was something that just came almost immediately from the moment they met. One scene that stood out to me was when Luca had to hug Alberto from the back to keep the bike from breaking into two. So this is one of the evenings when they both rode the bike and up the ramp. And Luca was like, oh, this is a really bad idea. But Alberto was all, (laughs) silencio Bruno, let's do this, right? So the bike inevitably broke in half in midair and they were falling onto this rock. And one of them had to kick the other away to separate themselves from each other, lest they wanted to fall onto the rock and hurt themselves. And soon after we get another parallel when they both decided to run away to Porto Rosso together and Alberto grabbed onto Luca's arms. And this time they jumped over the rock together rather than separate. I just saw this kind of like as symbolism whereby the first time it showed that if they were together, there was a huge chance that they could be hurt. Mm -hmm. That there was a huge chance that there was going to be danger at the end of it all. There was also a huge chance that if they were together, they would overcome anything that would come their way, whether it be danger, heartbreak, or sadness, etc. 
I felt like this really reflected the common feeling that I feel a lot of people in the LGBTQ community might have felt when it came to same-sex relationships in particular. The dangers of being together and you're just like, oh, if we were to be together, that might not be a good thing for the both of you, that it was going to be heartbreak at the end of the day. Yeah, I just felt like it was a really sweet echo if we were to read it that way. Yeah. It kind of also falls in line with a quote they say. They go, no one will tell us what to do. Just you and me out there, free. It's almost like for them to be happy, they have to kind of escape society. They can't just be controlled by parents who are scared of them, scared for them. They have to get out there together. They have to run away for them to truly be happy. And then a big thing that we mentioned is how in Potoroso, how humans pierce and hunt sea monsters. They actively are scared of them because they're not like humans. They're different. And so they try and kill them. And we sort of saw this as symbolism for the way society treats the LGBTQ plus community, seeing them as outcasts, as different, you know, hurting them and discriminating against them when they dare to show their identity. And we see how Luca and Alberto both have to hide who they really are, like sea monsters, in order to fit in. They have to put on a human facade to avoid discrimination. And a lot of people see that as them hiding their true sea monster identities as sort of an allegory for people who are members of the queer community who feel as if they have to hide in the closet or hide their true selves in order to be accepted. It almost feels as if that ocean was a big closet. Mm-hmm. And coming out of that ocean, putting themselves out there, that was Luca and Alberto just showing people that this is me, maybe not as just a sea monster. Like, this is me, but, you know, different from all of you. I have to pretend that I am not who I am because I'm afraid that, that if I were to really come out of the closet, <laughs> the sea, I will not be treated properly yeah you basically can read a lot into this the whole symbolism and really just stir the narrative into a gay perspective and Mm. it really does make sense to a certain extent as well also like we see how deep alberto and luca's relationship is and it's because of alberto that luca you know takes that step to leave the ocean which is safe which is familiar and go into the surface for the first time And when he gets to the surface, he is amazed and he loves it. But then he instantly reacts by saying, it's bad. You shouldn't be up here. I'm a good kid. And he runs back into the safety of the ocean. Because when I was watching the movie with you, I had already heard a lot of this discussion because I'd seen it on social media. So I thought, okay, I'm going to try and watch the film with that in mind. During that scene, I almost saw it as a teen who was like questioning their sexuality. And they feel guilty for thinking this way because society says it's bad, right? So even though they want to express themselves in this way, they're going to repress it. And so Luca loves the surface, but he's scared. So he tries to run away from it. Luca loves the surface and he becomes human for the first Mm -hmm. time in the literal sense as well. And he's learned to walk. He's filled with a life that he's never experienced or known before because he's always been down in the ocean, emotions and dreams, and more importantly, aspirations. And this is all because of Alberto. I took it as this is what finding love means to you. Yeah, You find a whole new life, a whole new perspective. 
And it's all thanks to that certain someone that really helped him learn how to walk on his own two feet for the very first time. Oh, that's so that's so fitting. <laughs> that, that's so exactly. really true. It's a secret time, right? It's actually forbidden. Luke is not meant to be up there. And so when Luca's mom finds out about it, she doesn't understand. Overall, she's just really afraid for him. She's scared of what the world out there will do to someone who is different to them. And so she threatens to send him into the deep, away from land and away from Alberto's influence. And I almost saw that as like almost a form of conversion therapy. You know, if we hide you away, you may change. If we take you away from those influences and put you somewhere where you can't access that, you might change. And I think it's because she's so scared of how the world will react and treat her son because she knows he's different. She knows that sea monsters, if we're looking at it, as an allegory for identity, it's so hard for them to be accepted by the humans. Oh, that whole idea of the gay conversion therapy, that was something I didn't think about prior to that. And that was just really, you pointed it out really nicely. On the other hand, we have Luca's grandmother who just kind of had a feeling or possibly already knew that he's been going out into the surface Mm -hmm. this entire time. And she's just, yeah, I'm just going to let him do it. We kind of (laughs) talked about this earlier how water is so much of an obstacle for them as well as it is something that they are originally from but then if we're looking at it from this perspective then water is almost like being outed from the closet right that moment when Luca is almost pushed into the fountain by Urkele is so terrifying because we know that Urkele is willing to kill a sea monster we know that if Luca loses his identity, his, his disguise, well, that he could be in so much danger. And in a way, this is almost kind of like closeted queer people who can't safely reveal their true identities because they're in a situation where they are at risk of discrimination and harassment. Especially with the way rain is being used in this movie, I just thought that it was beautifully done. I think we've kind of alluded this already in our previous discussion and I just want to bring it up again I guess the way rain basically washes away everyone's disguise mm-hmm. and make up every facade is just washed away and you're stripped down to your core and that's all you have to display in front of everyone and I thought that especially with that scene at the end when they won the race and the rain started to pour I just thought that that was especially significant you get the revelation of the two old women who were actually sea monsters as well. Yeah. And that to me was a huge shock because I did not expect that. Basically, it kind of tied into the idea that it just takes one person to be brave enough to come out and a heartwarming crowd to accept that for Mm. everyone else to be brave enough to reveal their sexuality or who they really are as a person. And as we said with the rain, the rain has been such an obstacle. It's been such a thing to fear, right? And the water, when Alberto reveals his identity at the beach, you know, we kind of talked about it. He's outing Luca's identity. And if we're looking at it as an allegory for the closet, well, then he's outing Luca's sexuality, right? Thus, he kind of becomes, you know, into self-preservation. He's scared to lose the protection of this human identity or straight persona so he betrays Alberto but then you know in contrast at the end of the movie right in the final scene Luca embraces his identity and as the train leaves the station driving forwards towards his new life 
He willingly stares up into the rain and he reveals his true identity. He will not hide himself anymore. Going forwards, he will be true to himself. I feel like that is so important for maybe kids who are going through that sort of headspace to be able to see a character accept themselves at the end. I think it is worth noting that director Casarosa, uh, he said that the characters of Luca and Alberto were just friends and that his film was all about platonic friendships, which is still completely valid. I think platonic male friendships that are very affectionate is something that we don't see enough in the media, truly. We definitely need a representation on that Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. So that being said, though, uh, Casa Rosa has stated that people, you know, they're welcome to accept any interpretation they'd like. He's happy for people to interpret it as LGBTQ plus representation, that he is happy to interpret it as a metaphor for refugees and immigrants as well, as some people have also interpreted it. I, yeah, I came into this movie not not knowing explicitly anything about the possible gay undertones that we could have read or interpreted the plot to be but like what you said um you could come into this movie read it as just a male platonic relationship and i feel like that is something that alberto and luca definitely have with one another and could be seen as that or as you know the possible um romance Mm -hmm. romantic relationship i just love how that even though it was unintentional it was so beautifully created to be in a way that you could literally interpret it in any way you'd like. Isn't that the intention of any media put out Mm. that interpretation is open to anybody? Now we're going to take a look at Luca from the lens of Disney and Pixar, basically the bigger picture. So... Disney has a history of queer baiting or stating that it has queer characters, but in a lot of these cases, it's not exactly tangible representation. And a lot of the time it has overhyped sort of what they call exclusively gay moments in their movies. And a lot of the time, this just kind of turns into this tiny morsel of representation that, uh, often so subtle that you hardly notice them. Uh, So for instance, I can think about a kiss between two women in the background at the end of one of the new Star Wars movies. And most of the time they are so plot irrelevant that they can just be easily cut out by international senses or even people watching just won't notice it at all. You know, it's not tangible representation. Honestly, if they didn't toot their horn so much about it, maybe people would be less upset. And I feel like a lot of people who were watching felt that Luca was a chance to finally have representation in a way that wouldn't have felt forced. In fact, it would have felt very natural given the nature of the story and the plot. So it wouldn't have been tokenism. What do you think about that, Mel? I definitely fully agree with the fact that there's just not enough representation. I just feel like it would have been better if Pixar or Disney just had a main character that had at least one (laughs) outright obvious gay romance. Like what you said, if they had used something like Luca, a really natural romance film or animated film, 
following a same-sex relationship. That would have been something that I would have liked to see maybe growing up. I understand, though, that this might not have been something that was possible probably in like, you know, 2015 or something. Doing research for this, it actually brought me back to the time when, have you heard about the short animated film called In a Heartbeat before? I think it was about two yeah. minutes long. Yeah, I've, I've watched yeah. that one. Yeah, it completely went viral in 2017. It was made by two college graduates, Esteban Bravo and Beth David. Mm -hmm. And I remember that it was all anyone could talk about in high school, especially because it was quite possibly for the first time ever an animated film that we could clearly see two guys falling in love with one another in the most sweetest, pure way possible. There was no subtlety there. It was direct, straight-up romance. True. And sure, there has been representations of this sort of relationship in other works of media too. So for example, Boy's Love, <laughs> um, which is a popular trope in Japan, mm -hmm. but never from a top-leading animation company such as Disney or Pixar. In an interview by Jack Nevins, he interviewed Esteban Bravo and Beth David, and Bravo said, and I quote, from a business standpoint, it makes sense why studios are afraid to portray LGBT characters just because there's still a part of the population that's not accepting. But as leaders from children's content, it's really important for them to represent these people because not showing LGBT characters leads to a lot of internalized confusion as kids growing up. And I feel like a lot of people... I've seen on TikTok, on Twitter, whatever, have been like, oh, we shouldn't like put a romantic gaze on children, right? Mm -hmm. And while I do agree, this doesn't seem to be an issue with straight sort of centric movies. Mm -hmm. I can come up with a few examples, especially in Disney. Snow White herself is 14, which is the same age as Alberto, and she gets married at the end of the movie. Violet from The Incredibles is only 14 and she has a relationship. A big part of her story is having a crush on this guy. No one had an issue with that. I see that in a lot of kids' movies. And I mean, drawing this closer to home, Luca gives me Little Mermaid vibes. If she can fall in love with the prince, why can't Luca fall in love with Alberto? <laughs> I think it's more realistic too. Luca spent yeah. a lot more time with Alberto. <laughs> and we're not saying that it's like having to be an explicit relationship. But, you know, it's kind of like puppy love, innocent childhood crushes. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that a lot of kids and teens have crushes. It's normal. Yeah. That's part of preteen transitioning into becoming a teen sort of phase. You start exactly. thinking about that. I guess, you know, coming-of-age films do often have a romantic aspect to them. Totally. So it wouldn't be too far off tangent. And if we really want to criticize any shows for sexualizing teens, then I think we should start looking into more shows like Riverdale, where there are literally sex scenes <laughs> between characters who are meant to be in high school. And that's shown on yeah. TV. I don't mm -hmm. think having a little bit of puppy love, innocent little crushes in a movie that is already kind of leaning in that direction is a necessarily a bad thing at all. But I also then want to bring up, we talked about how Disney has a history of queer coding. Yep. I will point out that most of the time, Disney's queer coding is with its villains, but it doesn't explicitly label them as gay. And right. they often 
reflect negative stereotypes about the LGBTQ plus community. For instance, let's take Jafar or Hades. Uh, they get easily scared. They're very interested in their fashion. They have makeup, eyeliner almost, and they don't, right. you know, conform to heteronormative codes of conduct. But then they're criticized and they're made fun of. Why are all the villains often this sort of coded? Because they're meant to be set apart from the moral heroes, right? They're dangerous. They're scary. Have you noticed that at all? Actually, looking back at it as well, I definitely did notice that. It just leads to the questions: Why is it always to do with the villains, though? Mm-hmm. Why, why has it never been the protagonist that had any of these traits or um, any of these like subtle, you know, stereotypes um, associated with the LGBTQ plus community? And that's why I just feel like representation is still a long way to go when it comes to Disney and Pixar. Yeah. When they're representing it, it's either in a negative stereotype sort of way, and like usually like coined with the villains, mm-hmm. but never from a positive light, never from a major character sort of way. It it's just looking back at it now, and it's already twenty twenty one, and we've not had a proper huge representation for this community. Yeah, up till now, and that's just actually just quite surprising. If kids see people acting in that way that is not heteronormative as always the villains, as always the ones who lose or get killed, or well, then they're going to associate that as bad behavior. They're going to associate acting like that as bad. That's basically bad conditioning and just purely poor education mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I just feel like, especially since kids are heavily influenced by not just the media, I mean, especially Disney. And Pixar, these animated films play a huge role in these kids' lives. And if you were to always not represent a sort of community in a bright light, what are they going to take out of it? Mm-hmm. And I felt like Luca was definitely a step in the right direction. Um, even though it's not meant to be a gay romance film, it could be interpreted as such. But it just goes to show that possibly in the future, if there were to be a gay romance film, animated film, realistic film, whatnot, it could happen. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a possibility for it to happen. And I just hope that it wouldn't take too long for it to happen, yeah. especially with how hateful the world has become. Truly. <laughs> I think it's really important that we educate kids to not outcast the sea monsters, the so called mm-hmm. sea monsters, and see that, you know, we're all the same i think that disney kind of missed out on the potential of making luca you know that openly i guess queer story yeah but as you said it shows that there is potential for making queer characters that are tangible that are lived in so i think it would be a great thing if disney sort of took that in stride and saw that there has been positive reception to that and maybe considered that and i do want to point out Leica Entertainment made the film Paranorman back in 2013 that had an openly gay character who was not a stereotype. And that was almost a decade ago. So might be time to catch up, Disney. I can't do it without you. But you're never without me. The next time that that you jump off a cliff or, or tell Bruno to quit bothering you, that's me.
Thank you guys so much for listening to our second ever episode of Little Miss Media. If you want to see more Little Miss Media content, follow us on Instagram at Little Miss Media Podcast. You'll be able to see promos, sneak peeks, and a little bit of extra goodies. And if you do enjoy our content and love to support us further, please do feel free to share us on your socials as well to your friends and your family and whoever you think will enjoy listening to our content. So until next time, arrivederci. Ciao.